Horror Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag. With me... As always, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Hoff? What up? How's it going? Going great. I think we took the what? What we took the first week off. Yeah. In a year and a half, last week. I have to say, I, I it was a uh, bittersweet. <laughs> well, because I, I enjoyed. It was just kind of nice to like. Oh, it's like oh, have a little break. But on the flip side, I, I missed it. So you know. Yeah, it was all my fault, too, by the way, everyone. Yeah, I was blaming you the whole time. Well, you should have been. Uh, at the last minute, you know, my family, my wife and I had a had a new addition to our family. And uh, my in-laws gave us as a gift a uh, free night in a hotel up uh, in Mount Vernon, which is here in Washington State. And so last minute, uh, we decided on Tuesday morning last week, let's take off. And so we did. So I was the one out of town. And uh, since I'm actually the one who uh, produces this show from my computer, uh, in other words, I'm the one who's doing all the sound and all that kind of stuff, um, because of that, uh, there was no show. But uh, we replayed something else, and I had a great time, and I'm glad that you, Rob, had a restful time. Uh, so, hey, what up and shalom to everyone listening. What up and shalom to the people in the chat room. Thanks for joining us in the chat room. We appreciate it. If you want to be a part of the conversation in the chat room uh, and you're listening to this live, then you can go to trradio.com under broadcast. Go to the Robin Caleb show page. Um, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to get my thoughts together here. We're, okay. We're out of practice. We're out of practice. You can tell it's, it, it's, it's been too, yeah, it's been too, it's been too long. Okay. So at our pro, uh, programming desk is, uh, Gary Springer. And of course, running our website and our chat room is Mark Randall. This show is ultimately produced and presented to you by tourresource.com. Find all sorts of free articles, videos, all sorts of stuff. Tourresource.com. You can shop for products at our store. You can listen to free radio, which you should be doing right now if you're listening to us at trradio.com. And of course, registration for fall classes at Torah Resource Institute, the online school of Torah Resource, opens today. That's right, today, Wednesday, July 29th. Uh, so uh, if you're listening to this broadcast after that, maybe on demand or on a replay of this show, then go to torresourceinstitute.com and register for classes. Okay, I think that's all of the advertising I have to do. So I had um, I had a email from my cousin. My cousin actually lives right where you are, Rob, in Spokane, Washington. And he said, you know, he attends a Christian church. Really nice guy. Actually, I hadn't uh, I hadn't seen my cousin in I would say twenty five. 28 years. And then, uh, all of a sudden he emailed me a year ago and I just happened to be 
going to Spokane for the UMJA conferences. A oh, year we had ago. lunch together. Yeah, that's right. Boom, I remember. Yeah, okay. and so uh, my father and I and uh, and Rob all went down and had lunch with him. And uh, so he emailed me just the other day, and he said, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, being messianic as you are, I thought maybe you could answer a question for me. What do you do with Mark seven? And what he's talking about ultimately is Mark seven nineteen. That's wait a minute. That's the forbidden verse for messianic. <laughs> yes, it proves that we messianic. Just, we just need to avoid. Don't you realize that we just just avoid it? That's the verse we haven't read. And, yeah. yeah, everybody knows it, but we everybody we uh, yeah. People think that messianics have just taken like skipped over that verse, like we've never read it before or something like that. Um, actually, let's listen to. Uh, there's a famous radio station slash podcast out there not station radio program slash uh podcast out there called focal points are you aware of this rob no it sounds uh, really clear well listen to this listen to what this guy has to say about the kosher laws because this lady calls up she's kind of challenging him on kosher laws listen to this well let's real quick lo- kosher laws yes okay so in the torah Yes. Leviticus. Well, actually, Noah discerned between clean and unclean animals, right? Long before the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, that's then, correct. Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 are the places where it's just, it just can't be any clearer. Yeah. Right? Eat these things, don't eat those things. Yeah. And eat these things, things, don't eat those things over and over and over again. So a short, a short rundown of what those things are. If it lives on the land, it has to have a split hoof and chew the cud. If it lives in the ocean, it has to have fins and scales. Go. Correct. And if it's a bird, it's the birds typically are lists of birds that are like scavengers that you avoid, that you don't eat those things. Typically, words, wait, wait, hang on, just a second. Yeah, but that's true. But at the same time, I would say that chickens are scavengers because they eat anything and everything. Okay, but just okay, so we could talk about <laughs> details like that. But the point is, it's it's painted really clearly, and what a lot of uh, Christians uh, read and and. and the commentary say that on Mark seven nineteen, it has this little parenthetical note. Okay, wait, hang read. on, just a, but wait, hang on, just a sec. We're going to get to that in just a second because oh, I want to. Okay, okay. I want to. I want to listen to this uh, focal points and what he has to say about Mark seven nineteen, and then then I'm going to let you. Uh, then I'm going to let oh, let the beast of the hoff loose uh, to to uh, talk about Mark seven nineteen. Okay, here here we go. This is focal points. And a lot of people will challenge us. Look, the same. Passage in Leviticus that says a man must not sleep with a woman is the same one that says you can't wear garments made out of... Now, what he means there, he's, he, he misspoke. He means a man can't sleep with a man. Or uh, maybe he, he, there's also the okay, passage... Okay, so he misspoke. Yeah, also the passage that a man can't sleep with a woman if he's not married to her, if he's not in covenant relationship to her. Okay, so he misspoke. But anyway, we'll give him that. Sleep with a woman is the same one that says you can't wear garments made out of two different kinds of wool and says you can't eat shellfish and crabs and all that kind of stuff. Okay, and by the way, he also misspoke. It doesn't say you can't <laughs> you can't uh, wear garments made out of two kinds of wool. Um, that's a whole different uh, discussion, but we could have that at some point uh, if we wanted to. And I think the Deuteronomy passage, just quickly, I think the Deuteronomy passage actually expands on that. It's wool and linen. You can't wear clothes that have interwoven wool and linen. That doesn't mean you can't wear pants made out of linen and a shirt made out of wool means you can't have interwoven wool and linen okay anyway uh we'll give them that too different kinds of wool and says you can't eat shellfish and 
crabs and all that kind of stuff. So let me ask this question, Tabitha. Do you think Jesus is our ultimate authority on matters of diet? Yes, and I do believe that he is the one that um, is the son of the creator of the universe, and he's the word, so he wouldn't have eaten horse or wasp either. Okay, listen to this then. You, you've just accepted that Jesus is our ultimate authority when it comes to matter of diet. Here is Mark chapter 7. Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Boom. Boom. Okay, well. Oh, now, did she reply? Uh, well, yeah, kind of. She said, well, no, he's not actually. No, no, he can't be saying that, blah, blah. And then he cuts her off and goes to break. Uh, so there really was no, no uh, <laughs> response. Here's the first thing I wanted to talk about, and then I'm going to pass this over to you, Rob, because I know that uh, you're you're going to be the Greek guy for for Mark seven nineteen. The but Greek geek. The, yeah, Are that's you calling ex- me the Greek geek. That's exactly what I'm calling you. Um, listen to this again, and this is the I have a problem with this, and maybe I shouldn't have a problem with this, but I do have a problem with this. Listen to this. Diet. Okay, hang yeah. on. I did I did not go back far enough. I apologize. Let's go back fifteen. It's just question, Tabitha. Do you think Jesus is our ultimate authority on matters of diet? Okay, hang on now. This question brings it, uh, its own problems. And the reason why is because in the beginning, the answer to that has to be no. Our ultimate authority is God, which I agree is Yeshua, okay? But he gave his word. So the ultimate authority is the Torah itself. What validates Yeshua as the Messiah, what validates him as authority at all is the Torah itself, is the Tanakh. So the only reason that Yeshua has, a, has we know that Yeshua has the authority of anything is because the Tanakh tells us so. So he can't go against that. He can't, I would say that Yeshua uh, is the ultimate, um, he's the one who uh, shows us how to keep Torah. Right, but I but to say he's the ultimate authority on 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 what you can eat. No, the Torah is, and Yeshua shows us how to do that. Yeshua can't come along and say the Torah is wrong. If he does, then he's not the Messiah. Then we're looking for somebody else. Well, I think this whoever this radio host guy uh, is, it seems to me he's coming from a framework that God gave the Torah to Israel. It didn't work. It didn't stick. So he's going to do a new thing now. In other words, that plan A did, plan A failed. So now I'm going to do plan B, and part of plan B is doing away with plan A. Like, like forget about plan A, because I'm going to institute plan B. Okay, yeah, I, I understand that, but the point... And so he's pitting, like, oh yeah, well, the, you know, the Old Testament said that, but Yeshua came, Jesus came, and gave a new Torah... I can guarantee that this guy believes that Yeshua is is divine. Okay, that he is deity. 
If that's the case, what he's doing is he's pitting God against God. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that doesn't work. You can't do that. The Torah is the measuring stick. You have to you have to put you have to put everything up to the measuring stick. If it doesn't add up to the measuring stick, then it's false. And this and is here's this guy is leaning heavily on translation and Christian commentary. Well, I I can uh, you can well because, maybe because the verb if we want to how far do we want to go before we play other clips? Why don't you okay? Well, do we want to play though. Joel no, 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 no. Wait, let's do. Okay, well, we can. You want to play the Joel? This is just a shocker. This was a shocker for me. But let me give. I'll give a teaser. The word "defile" in Mark seven that is being used here is not a Torah term. It's a Pharisaic innovation from the Second Temple period. It's not. It's not a purity term used in the Torah, in the Greek Torah. It doesn't occur in the Greek scriptures in the Greek Tanakh. This word does not use uh, used. So this defiling that he's talking to has to do with something that has to do with common, making common, because the Pharisees developed an extra-biblical stringency with respect to purity because of Gentile presence in the land. And so it was an extra fear. It was an extra kind of stringency that they created as a tradition of the elders that had to be washed, uh, that called for certain washings. Okay, but hang on. Let's go. Let's go even farther into Mark seven. So, we'll, we'll hold so we're not talking about. We're not addressing Leviticus eleven or Deuteronomy fourteen at all. There are completely other different words that Yeshua would have used if he was talking about those things. Okay, I just wanted to think but, that but, but let's go farther into Mark seven because Osteen doesn't actually talk about Mark seven. Okay, so let's 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 talk more about Mark seven. There are good scholars, and we ran into this at the at last year's ETS meeting. We went to a, a uh, we went to a session on Messianic Judaism. It was actually a book review. There was a panel of of uh, distinguished Messianics who had written this book, and 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 some decent guys. You know, Doctor Rudolph, who we're going to talk about a little bit later. He is just a he's just a sweetheart of a man. He's so nice. Uh, and, and he, to me, it seems as though he really, really, truly loves the Lord. Um, Mark Kinzer was on the the board and some other people, and there were some Christian uh, gentlemen up on the board as well that were kind of, um, what would you say, Rob, disputing the book? Anyway, uh, one of the guys, one of the Christian guys said, oh yeah, well, you know, Jesus did away with the kosher laws. And my dad and I at the same time yelled from the back of the room, where did he do that? And the guy said, well, Mark seven, of course, you know, this guy's a scholar. It's not like he's, you know, he knows Greek. And afterwards my dad went up and he said, do you really think the Greek says this? And the guy said, yeah, he does. Okay. So explain to us this. There's this phrase at the end, of, at the end of verse 19, there's this phrase that says in, in the newer translations, for instance, the NASB, also the ESV, and the Net Bible. Unfortunately, Dr. Uh, uh, Wallace uh, translated it the same, which is, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, in the KJV, we don't have this phrase. It says, thus purging all foods. Now, if we take the thus purging all foods, it fits perfectly in with the discussion that's going on because it's not talking about food. It's talking about clean and unclean, ritually clean and unclean, hands touching food and making that, that food ritually right. unclean. This is, and this is what uh, I think well, your dad makes this point. Tim Haig, there's an article people can download for free 
from Tor Resource under articles. It's called Mark 719. It's, short technical note. It's, it's really short. super heady, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it gets into the Greek, and I. I so, if someone wants detailed, uh, you know, analysis of the passage, I would send them there. Um, but basically, the King James renders it wonderfully. Uh, it's only in later uh, translations that they start to. Now, I haven't looked at the English translation history of that verse, but. Um, start to say that Yeshua is declaring all foods clean. Um, and it might be, it, you know, it wouldn't be surprising, this is a guess, just I should preface, this is a guess, that, you know, in the 1800s you had um, the rise of, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist movement and groups that started um, in America keeping the dietary laws and even going eventually to vegetarianism. Mm, yes, vegetarianism. Go vegetarian. It wouldn't be surprising if some of the English translations were, uh, like, polemical to like make that to try to to legislate that for English speaking Christians. Okay, you know? but we can we can we can hypothesize that why translators translated the way they did. But let's actually talk about what it actually says. Why why would they even put in there? Why would the why would some translations even say? one thing differently than the other one i mean it doesn't even sound like the same phrase thus purging all foods and thus jesus declared all foods clean yeah they supply a lot of information like what it doesn't say it doesn't say jesus so yeah but it's it's going back to a personal pronoun right yeah but they don't know that's the problem it's like what is it is it talking about the process of of digestion well that's how the king james takes it that what is what is being, what is uh, happening is that it's the the digestive process that is purging the food. So, what words are actually there, though? I guess that's the question that I'm asking. The the key word there is this word koinos, and it's the word used at the beginning of Mark seven, where it says they eat. They're saying, "Why do they eat with koinos hands?" Hands that are koinos, which and then Mark says, which means unwashed. So this key word is koinos, and this is a Pharisaic innovation. This is not a word used in the Greek Torah at all to have to do anything with food. Koinos means public or common. And what the Pharisees were doing, as we see at the beginning of Mark 7, is that they were trying to protect a space that was some sort uh, had some sort of purity associated with it. Apart, this is we're not talking about Levitical purity laws now. We're talking about Pharisaic stringencies on keeping homes clean from the infiltration of this Gentile chaos that's outside of them. So you have foreign occupation in Israelite land, and and the koinos referred to everything that was going out there on in the world, and they wanted to people to cleanse themselves of these thing of that. Uh, ritually, symbolically, through the washing of hands, so that so that they come and eat, and they did it with vessels and and uh, tables and everything, had to be uh, go through some sort of Pharisaic ritual that they developed of washing, so as to remove this concept of koinos, which again is not a Torah concept. It's not a Torah concept. It's not unclean. Like we think of unclean animals. 
It's a new concept, and that's what the problem is. People who are reading this, Christians say, he says, oh, you know, what defiles a man? He's thinking in terms of Leviticus 11 and Leviticus 14, or uh, Deuteronomy 14. He's thinking unclean foods like pig or, you know, camel or spiders. And that's, that's because there's a category shift. He's not recognizing that what Mark 7 is talking about is the traditions of the elders. See, but what I'm saying is, is that in 719, okay, and you're right because he actually clarifies that earlier in the, in the, in the chapter. He says the traditions of the fathers. But in 719, I'm looking in the Greek. First of all, we have zero mention of the name Yeshua or or Jesus. There's no Jesus in the entire verse. There's no Jesus in the verse prior to that either. There's no Jesus in 18 either. Literally, literally the end of 19 says uh, purging all the food. I I, I see it as into into the the, uh, latrine or the toilet purges... uh, all the food. Yeah, it's just purging. The very end there is purging or cleansing all the food. Yeah. Now, this word cleansing to make clean. Here's another point. That's where they're getting declared. That right? word that the from catharizo. Catharizo is not something that an inherently unclean animal could ever be. So you can't take a pig and declare it clean. That that could never happen. You can only things that could be cleansed are things that have the capacity to be clean, like a human being, right? Could be acquire tame through uh, different things, maybe uh, touching a leper or uh, touching a corpse. So these are different levels of tame, of uncleanliness, that through Levitical procedure then can then become catharizo. They, they can become cleansed from that temporary defilement. But you can't take something that is inherently tame, like a swine or a camel or, or a bat, and cleanse it. There's, just, there's no language for that. But yet that's what these, that's, yeah, it's, it's just a, a misunderstanding um, of what words mean. And it's also, sadly, it shows us where, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters have been satisfied with surface readings. Well, and Adam brings Adam brings up Acts 10, and I'm jog my memory. Is that Peter's vision? That's Peter's vision, right? Yeah. So in Peter's vision, he sees all the unclean animals, and he says, I've never eaten anything. You know, he sees all these unclean animals in a sheet, and he says, I've never eaten anything. And right, a cathartos or <laughs> koinos. So that, you, that we're uh, uh, unclean or koinos, or defiled by this, uh, this other now the, in Acts ten, a cathartos is a Torah category. That's Leviticus eleven, Deuteronomy fourteen. He's never eaten anything of that, but he also says I've never eaten anything koinos. So just the very fact that uh, Peter puts both those words together shows that they're different categories. Things categorized koinos are not the same as things categorized a cathartos. But the, but that that whole passage is in a totally different realm and the reason right. why and peter gives us the interpretation yeah he, he tells us he's not supposed to call he's not supposed to call gentiles unclean something that god has cleansed he's not supposed to call koinos he's not supposed to treat it as koinos that that is that's what's super super important it's not the calling something koinos that makes does not make it so it just affects the person who's making a call 
uh, calling it that. So in other words, if God has cleansed a heart through faith, like it says in Acts 15, purified their hearts through faith, for Peter then to look at Cornelius, let's say, after Cornelius believes and has heart cleansed by faith, if Peter calls Cornelius koinos, does that make, does that literally transform Cornelius's heart so it's no longer clean? No. That's just now, now Peter's walking around with the wrong perception of the world, and he's going to respond according to the way he's thinking of it now. He's thinking Cornelius is koinos, and he's going to treat Cornelius a certain way, when in fact God has cleansed Cornelius's heart, and, and just Peter calling it koinos can't actually make it so. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 14, 14. He says, Yeshua has taught me this very clearly. To a person who calls something something koinos, a person who calls something koinos, to that person, it's koinos. But it, in and of itself, it is not koinos. Preach it, brother. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Okay, so... Um, I love the, this next clip. This is probably one of my favorite clips that I've found in the past month. Um, this is now everybody hates Joel Osteen <laughs> that I know. I've never, I don't think I've met one person. I actually, one time I tried to stick up for, uh, Osteen, uh, one time at a, at a, uh, dinner party. Uh, that didn't end well. Uh, <laughs> um, and the reason why is because, you know, I'm, I don't know if, uh, if Osteen, is trying to reach people in a certain way and he's just ignorant to uh you know think to certain things or if he really is uh deceptive and trying to deceive people uh and and just make a buck it's hard for me to know i i know uh, the heresies that he teaches but listen to this this i thought was very interesting and then let's talk a moment about pork ham Bacon, pepperoni, these are some of the things that the scripture tells us we should not eat. The ushers have already locked the doors. <laughs> and of course, this has to do with anything that comes from a pig, a hog, a swine. And I know some of you love pork chops. You love ham and cheese sandwiches. I grew up on all that. I love bacon. But for our health's sake, we have to be willing to make some changes. God knows what's best for us. And back in the Bible days, the pig was considered unclean. It was never considered a source of food. And one of the main reasons why was the pig will eat anything. A pig eats waste and garbage. This is kind of gross, but a pig will eat its own dead child. And as I said, I love bacon, but a few years ago, we switched over and started eating turkey bacon. I can't tell the difference now. I love pizza, but I don't eat pepperoni anymore. I made changes, not only for my health's sake, I made changes to honor God. And I believe that if I'll do what I can to take care of myself, God will do what I can. Something else the Bible tells us we should stay away from is any kind of shellfish. Shrimp, crabs, clams, oysters, lobsters. Again, would y'all quit being so rebellious today? Are they booing him? Yeah. I'm ruining all y'all's lunch. So, uh, I think it's, I mean, Osteen's up on stage. He's got 40,000 people or whatever. However, I think it's 40,000 that place. How many, how many, is it 20,000? I forget. The place is ginormous. It's a, it's, a, it's an old uh, NBA stadium. I have that many people turn against you <laughs> all at once, man. 
Uh, anyway, I think it's very interesting that Osteen is uh, claims that he uh, keeps a kosher diet. I think that's uh, so. Now he doesn't talk about Matthew Se- or uh, he's not talking about Mark Seven, right? No, he's not talking about Mark. In other 7. words, who knows how they? Uh, yeah, who who knows how he do- how he comes to to uh, his belief on that? Uh, so I I encourage people to read the article by Tim Haig, just the short article. Uh, it breaks down the Greek. It, it is kind of heady, uh, but basically defends the King James rendering that it's referring that this purging all food is, uh, is dis- describing the digestive process, and that it's where a lot of more recent translations add a lot of information, like thus Jesus declared all foods clean or something like that, which is totally uh, well. Here, here. Yeah, I share and, and, a little bit about. Well, are are you going to Rudolph? Yeah. Okay, so so I got to say this. Okay, um, it's always interesting to see. You know, Rob and I hold to one Torah theology. One Torah theology is is not as popular as many might think, um, or maybe it is. <laughs> maybe maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's not popular, and that's what people think. Um, even within the Messianic movement. Okay, uh, one tour theology is not is not very popular. So the main views of of uh, of Gentiles keeping Torah within Messianic Judaism is one either Gentiles and Jews don't have to keep Torah. It's just a cultural aspect for Jews to come closer to their culture and their heritage and to learn what Jesus was doing in the first century. That belief is held a lot by the uh, Messianic. Uh, Jewish Alliance of America, which is the MJAA, one of the largest groups, Messianic groups in the United States today. And then the other uh, popular view of Gentiles keeping Torah is that they shouldn't, that only Jews should be keeping Torah. The Torah is only for the Jews, and uh, God gave the Torah to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. That view is held by the United Messianic Jewish Congregations, also known as the UMJC, uh, probably the second largest, if not the largest, um, with the MJAA. Uh, Messianic group in the United States today. So our belief that Torah is for Jew and Gentile alike, whoever is in covenant relationship with the Almighty, is uh, unique. So let's hear what someone has to say about uh, about Mark 7 in light of a Messianic view that Gentiles shouldn't be keeping Torah. Go, Rob. Well, there's an article written now. This article is over ten years old now. It's uh, in the journal Kesher, a journal of Messianic Judaism. Uh, this was an article written uh, by Dr. David Rudolph, who, who I think he's he's a, one of the leaders within the UMJC. Uh, you know, Torah for Jews, uh, not for Gentiles uh, party. Anyway, he wrote an article Yeshua and the Dietary Laws, and he says. He talks about this Mark seven, nineteen, and he says, for, "Quote, this is Doctor Rudolph, quote from the Messianic Jewish perspective." I love it how he uses a blanket statement. Yeah, as if there's one Messianic Jewish <laughs> yeah. perspective, right? Quote from the Messianic Jewish perspective, as depicted in the Jerusalem Council decision of Acts fifteen, Yeshua believing Gentiles were exempt, and he uses italics there, exempt from Leviticus eleven dietary laws. This, however, was not because these portions of the Torah had been abolished, but because their inapplicability was limp, 
or pardon me, I misspoke. Uh, not because of the, these portions of the Torah had been abolished, but because their applicability was limited to Jews. So, in other words, he, then he goes on, he says, what was effectually abolition from the Gentile Christian perspective was halakhic application from the Messianic Jewish perspective. So, he goes on to say, in the bottom line of the article, is, um, this is, quote, basis for Gentile exemption from the Leviticus 11 dietary laws. So is he saying Mark's, that... Mark's comment was specifically, here again, quote, this is Rudolph, quote, Mark's parenthetical comment, that is Mark 719b, that means the end of the verse, was specifically intended for Yeshua-believing Gentiles, not Yeshua-believing Jews. An important nuance, Rudolph says and may have served to establish theological justification for the apostolic decree that exempted Yeshua-believing Gentiles from the dietary laws. Okay, hang on just a sec. Wait, oh, now, I just, this is ridiculous. There's, there's, there's multiple problems with... And now, I, yeah. Once again, Rudolph is a great guy. I, I really enjoy talking to him and sitting down with him at the, at the ETS and SBL meetings when we meet him there. But uh, this is absolutely ridic- ridiculous, okay? Because you have two things going on here. First of all, is he saying that all of the entire book of Mark was written towards the Gentiles? No, he says Mark was probably redacted. In other words, there's a layer, like Mark had one layer that was probably Jewish, and then another person came along and added little things around it to make it for a Gentile audience. Okay, but let's, let's, let's read the context of Mark. Mark 7. Mark 7, 17. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, and and this is, of course, the end of 719. He's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to to any Gentiles. Unless you... uh, That's what Rudolph says. This is a little added statement at the end to help Gentiles understand how to interpret it. that, That the... That Yeshua is telling Gentiles that they don't have to keep, that the, the laws of Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 do not apply to them, that they only apply from, to Jewish believers. From a scholarly view, it is difficult for me to believe that, that Rudolph, I mean, I know he did because it's right there in print. By the way, this is not in your show notes because we pulled this article about three minutes before we went on the air. And I don't know, yeah. So, but anyway, uh, we can put it. We can put it up somewhere if we need to. But the point is, is that it is. I, I think that any. I think that most scholars. <laughs> I don't even know how to say this kindly. I. It's hard for me to believe that a scholar would actually uh, say such a thing about a passage because it, it clearly it cannot be the case. From the passage itself, it clearly cannot be the case that what Rudolph is saying is true. But here's what Rudolph is doing in this time. Now, remember, this is over 10 years ago. Rudolph is arguing primarily in his larger work that Yeshua kept the Torah and that his disciples kept the Torah and that they were all Jewish. That's where Rudolph's tip of his spear is. He's arguing against people who are saying Yeshua abolished the Torah totally. So what he's doing, he's wanting to fight back, saying, no, Jesus was Jewish. He kept... The commandments, like all, the, like any other 
you know, pious Jew would have. And he, that's where his, he's fighting on that hill. And one of the things he's willing, the land he's willing to cede is this picture of the Gentiles keeping Torah. He's like, no, I'm not going to fight on that hill. Gentiles don't have to, but Jesus and his, his disciples did. And that's where he wants to fight. Our program, so our fighting on that hill, these little things around the edges that he hasn't thought through are the casualties. He's like willing to say, okay, Gentiles, send the torn meat to the Gentiles. You know what I mean? They can eat whatever. Our, our programmer is, is giving us a note here. He says, is there actual evidence or is it just conjecture? It's just conjecture. It's all conjecture. We have no evidence of, of, of any for the first, I don't know, couple centuries. I don't know how the, the earliest evidence of Gentile believers in Yeshua eating uh, unclean food. Is all, Ryan the early, Bl- all the earliest imagery of iconography of paintings and stuff were they're eating fish, bread, and wine. And it's fish, it's like, it's like trout or like, you know what I mean? Fish, and, it's scales and fins. We, we have no evidence uh, of anything other than Gentiles learning and coming under the Torah. That's what they were doing. They were coming into the synagogues. You know, Cornelius is the perfect example in Acts 10. It's, can you imagine Peter coming over to Cornelius' house? It just says that he's, he was just, he was devout, he was worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. And he has a vision because he's praying, right? Vision from an angel. Then Peter comes over, and then the first thing Gent, or Cornelius says, okay, well, we're going to have ham sandwich today. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's what they're, that's what. That's Get the what mustard out. Like Ru- this is what Rudolph <laughs> and these kinds of guys ultimately are saying, is that these Gentiles were just eating all this, this, uh, like, you know, Let's go back to context for a few seconds. This is, it. and by the way, I, 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 I have to say hi to Ryan. Uh, it's so good to see Ryan in our in our chat room, uh, taking time out from his. Well, it's summer. I don't know if he's in his studies right now. Maybe he is. I don't know. Anyway, let's go back to context. Okay, so uh, and Rob, you made this point. And I don't want to try to steal this as if I came up with this on my own. This is all. This is all. This all comes from Rob's wonderful mind. Uh, so the other day I, we were reading on in this, uh, I'll read it for you. 20 verse, uh, Mark seven, 20 through 21. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man for from within out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murders, adulteries. Uh, 22 says deeds of con- uh, coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And what uh, you said the other day, Rob, is that most of these things actually carry the death penalty. So what? And and the point the point is is what is uh, what's the penalty for? You know, we're talking about major sins. He's talking about major sins coming out of the heart. Not that kosher is not a major sin, but what's the penalty for e- eating unkosher food in the Torah? There is none. It's, it's no well. It's no different. It's it's no different than touching. Like if you touch, and this is something we've had some good conversations locally on Shabbat, is if you look at just like Leviticus eleven, touching a carcass has the same. It, it there's there's no difference in the situation. That if you, in other words, if if you have uh, eat the animal, you're in no different a situation than if you would have. Touched. I shouldn't say there's no uh, and uh, let me let me correct myself please. 
I shouldn't say there's no punishment. The punishment is 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 uh, it's a personal relationship issue between you and God. Yes, that's right. And that in and of itself is is punishment enough. You've done something against your master. If you're in true covenant relationship with God, right. this actually matters. It's like it's like when you say something really stupid, really stupid to your wife. You're in covenant relationship with her. What's the punishment? <clears throat> If your wife says, does this dress make me look fat? And you say, yes, it does. <laughs> there, there's no laid out punishment for that. But you know what? You screwed up and you know it. And you're going to be paying for it for quite some time. And kosher laws are much like that, right? Right. Well, it's, it's this. Here's the thing. If you know something, if you know that God said don't do something, yeah. and, you, and you knowingly go, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. Okay. That's, it's not, it, it's not the thing now that's going to, what he says, co- make you coin us. It's the, it's the fact that you had that thought in your heart. That came from your heart, this attitude of rebellion. Yeah. And, and that's what the, that's what Yeshua is trying to, he's trying to turn the Pharisaic tradition on its head to make the deeper point about the heart issue. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Okay. Um, I, Honestly, I thought that this whole portion that we've just gone through, I thought this was going to take like five minutes. It's taken 41 minutes. So <clears throat> that's okay, though. Uh, what I wanted to do is I found this, this gem of an of a article by a guy named Saunders, Sanders, Saunders, P.J. Saunders. And this guy. Now, is he an MD? I, it looked like yes, he was part of a like Yes, a, I, think he's, I think he's an MD. Of a group of MDs that do ministry workers. <laughs> In Europe, in London, I think. Hang on just a second. I got to go. Who? Oh, pardon me. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this is, a, this is a, 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 a group in Europe of, of doctors. And he wrote this article for said doctors. Now, he, he obviously is a believer because he writes on subjects like this. Let's read a little bit of this. We'll comment as we go. Oh, this was hard. This this was hard to read. For me. Stop me anytime you want, <laughs> Rob. An argument frequent. This is a quote. This is his article. Okay. An argument frequently advanced by those attempting to defend homosexual practice is that Christians cherry pick the commands in the Bible. Yeah, I. I this is an argument that I've used. Um, that is, and when I say I've used it, it it's uh, you know I I've used this argument against Christians in terms of well you know how can you say this and not this. That is, they choose uh, to emphasize some commands while ignoring others. The Old Testament may forbid homosexual acts, but it also forbids eating seafood without fins and scales. So, how can Christians then justify upholding laws on sexual morality whilst at the same time ignoring the food laws? (laughs) Food laws from the very same books of the Bible. Why may they eat shellfish but not be allowed to have sex outside of marriage? Isn't this inconsistent and hypocritical? And I would posit that, yes, it is. Okay. Didn't Jesus himself say that anyone who eats, uh, I'm sorry, who anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 19. The answer to that is yes. And, and honestly, I think it's interesting that he then takes the entire rest of this article to prove how that statement from Yeshua in Matthew 5, 19 is incorrect. So he quotes the verse from Yeshua, and then 
his whole article is trying to prove Yeshua wrong. There should be red flags for, for even Christians at the outset of that. You're trying to prove the Messiah, God incarnate, God with us. You're trying to prove him wrong. Doesn't this weigh on the conscience of the people who uh, believe this stuff? Anyway, the answer to this question, I'm going on, this is his statements now. The answer to this question lies in an understanding of biblical covenants, which I think is interesting. This, uh, I, I, I got to stop again. I think this is interesting because I believe, and Rob, t- I would love to hear your your two cents on this as well, but I believe that all of the covenants work together, right? They all work together. They all are working in harmony. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. So you can't discount one covenant because of the other. Doesn't Paul tell us that? They, it's like it's a gathering that's happening over time. Yeah. It's like... Uh... Okay, so let's keep going with Saunders. A covenant is binding, uh, binding solemn agreement made between two parties. It generally leaves each with obligations but it holds only between the parties involved. There are a number of biblical covenants, Noahic, Abrahamic, Sinaitic, he says old, Davidic, and new. Under the Noahic covenant, which God made with all living human beings, Genesis 9, 8 through 17, people were able to eat anything. And he's going to quote Genesis 9, 3. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. There is major problems with this interpretation. First of all, um, what about the uh, poisonous frogs? Is that considered food, even though it's going to kill somebody? What about pufferfish? When it comes to herbs, what about all the poisonous herbs out there that will kill a person? Did God give those to us as food? No, he didn't. So obviously there's more to this passage. There's more to this restriction. We're not being told the whole story of what was said to Noah, right? And not only that, but Noah certainly knew what was clean and unclean foods. Exactly. That's real important. Real important. Yeah, because he's supposed because, to he's because supposed to take it, seven an, uh, clean animals onto the ark and only two unclean animals, right? Right. And so, and here's the thing. You know, there's people. I think there was one uh, one of the UMJC rab, quote rabbis uh, made a blog post once saying that he wanted to have a shirt that said Noah ate pork. Yeah. And we don't need to mention names or anything. It's, it's water under the bridge. But the point is that if we just take that, that, that idea that someone has a theological out, outlook that says, oh, Noah ate pork. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it ever suggest that such a thing. We, that, so that would be someone's speculation or guess. But then you'd have to say, well, Abraham did. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? There, there's no different evidence. The evidence would be the same. You'd say that Isaac and Jacob did, and all the tribes did, and that even all the the heads of the tribes of Israel did and until Sinai. Yeah, and then they stopped because before Sinai, it was all permitted, and it was only at Sinai where it became forbidden. No, no, Sinai just is explaining the Torah. It's how to be like Abraham. You know what I mean? That that's a core. So check that now. Let's. Uh, I want to read this. Uh, 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 keep going with this. Listen to what he says here. But under the Sinaitic, and then he puts in parentheses, old covenant. So he's. So what I hear from him now is that he's saying 
that the Mosaic Covenant is the Old Covenant. Yeah. Well, no, he said he doesn't call it Mosaic. He says Sinaitic. Sinaitic. Still, there's huge problems with that. You can't call the... Anyway. Which God made with the nation of Israel, people were able to eat certain foods, but not others. These are listed in detail in Leviticus 11, blah, blah, blah. However, these laws are applicable only to the nation of Israel and were intended to set them apart from other races. Uh, he uses the word race there. Yeah. That, that's real okay. problematic. I wasn't going to go into to, uh, this, but, you know, I... I don't know. I've, I was reading something by Toby Janicki the other day, and he's talking about one law, okay? And he's, he's speaking against one law. He's talking about Exodus twelve forty nine, where it says there's to be one law for the native-born and for the sojourner among you. And Janicki says, well, if you, look at, if you look closely at this passage, okay, it's obvious that it's not talking about Gentiles keeping all of the Torah. In fact, the context of this command that there's supposed to be one law for the Jew and the and and the native or the native born and the sojourner is eating and making the, the Passover sacrifice. So it's only applicable to the Passover sacrifice. Okay? And his other uh, assertion is that this was made before the Sinaitic covenant. And so there, w- there weren't the other laws. <laughs> Here's the big problem with that, okay? In that exact same passage, the verse before, it says that the, the, whoever eats of it has to be circumcised. Why did you become circumcised? What was the point of being circumcised? There was two reasons for being circumcised. One, you were circumcised on the eighth day because your parents were covenant members and they were bringing you into the covenant. That's the first. Right. The second reason was because you had become a covenant member. And in becoming a covenant member, you entered covenant relationship with God. And the sign of that covenant relationship with God was circumcision. What were the requirements of being a covenant member if you took on the sign of circumcision? Keeping Torah. You're just, you're, you're acting, learning to be like your father, Abraham. Yeah. You're learning to be like Abraham. Now, was were all the Ten Commandments articulated in in the you know on the tables of stone? Not yet, but they but they certainly were they, there anyway. They, they were no less real. It's a matter of God's holy. It's a matter of God's holiness too. Because Malachi three uh, three six says that God doesn't change. Okay, if God doesn't change, and it's an abomination for someone to eat unkosher food. At one point in time, it's a mark against his holiness for someone to eat unkosher food at one time. Then it has to be, if he doesn't change, it has to be a mark against his holiness for all time. Right? Okay, let's keep going. So anyway, this this whole statement... However, these laws were applicable only to the nation of Israel and were intended to set them apart from other races. Show me where. <clears throat> Give me, show me the verses in well, the Torah. Here's the thing with the race. Well, first of all, he even goes on to quote Jeremiah 31. I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Yeah. So their peoplehood is, there's continuity of people. So this idea of race is, is just 
yeah, it's noise. It's noise. Okay, so he then quote, quotes uh, Jeremiah 31 and 31. Uh, he says, The nation of Israel, however, was unable to keep the requirements of the old covenant, meaning that the new a new covenant was necessary, as foretold by the prophet Jeremiah. Now, of course, Saunders here is going to equate himself being under the new covenant, but not under the old covenant, right? So then he is now equating himself with the nation of Israel. Because the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 30, through 34 is specifically for the nation of Israel, right? Or the people of Israel is what I should say. Which is still according to the promise, right? And this is, all goes back to a promise that God, that through Abraham, what he told Abraham, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, it's true what Jeremiah says here. The, the covenant made, it says, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, they broke that covenant. They broke that covenant. Now, did God, was that, did God then go, oh, man, they broke it. I didn't know they were going to break it. Well, let me try. I guess I'm going to have to make a new one. No. God knew from the beginning what would happen. And that Jeremiah is uh, explaining the historical sequence of events here. But when, when this Saunders writes in this next paragraph, he says he, that is Jesus, would establish this new covenant with new laws, with himself as high priest based on his own sacrificial death on the pro- uh, cross. This is problematic. Oh, yeah, big time. So let's go on with, with Saunders here. This new covenant would completely deal with sin and protect all those who put their faith in him from God's wrath and judgment. Okay, and then he quotes Hebrews 10, 10. Uh, well, actually, Luke 22, 21. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then he quotes Hebrews 10, 10. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he is equating him himself with the new covenant, and rightly so. Um, our f- friend Ryan says, I do think there is a distinction between Israel and the nations. I agree. Uh, he says, where I differ from many is that I believe that Christians, through the new covenant and Yeshua's work, are part of Israel. I completely agree with that. Okay. So uh, Saunders goes on and says, people would come under the protection of this new covenant, not by virtue of belonging to the nation of Israel, but through faith in Christ. He's right on that. In fact, the function of the Old Testament law, Sinai Covenant, was to point to Christ as its fulfillment. I would say that it was to bring people to the Messiah. Right? It all points to the Messiah. Okay, and he quotes Galatians 3, 24 through 28. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in saying, "I'm." and now check this out. Uh, is this where he quotes? I uh, Yeah, so he, he, he says, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear in saying, and then he quotes 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21. I myself am not under the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. I think he kind of caught himself here. Well, and he's also cutting this out of with the dots it's like he's yeah. removing the con, the actual context 
Yeah, which is... Anyway, there's tons of problems with this as well. Should we keep going with this? Um, yeah. Do you want me to keep going? Well, we could make a comment on 1 Corinthians 9.20. Go for it. Where it, uh, The context is Paul saying um, to... Uh, I want to. I want to win people. I want to. Sh- I want to build relationship with people, and share the gospel with them. Share the freedom of that we have uh, with the Spirit of Messiah living in our hearts. Right, having died to the things of the world, from bondage to sin and fear of man, and to live in the freedom and the joy of of that that I'm a new creation in Messiah Yeshua. My sins are forgiven, as if they never happened. And, and I want to share that with other people. Okay, so Paul then goes on to say, so to, to the Jews, I become as a Jew. Well, Paul is a Jew. So it's not like he's becoming something he's not, right? It just means that he, when he's in Jewish situations, he's going he's gonna, to uh, connect with them because he know, he's, comes from that background. He understands it. It's not like a Gentile saying, oh, to the Jew, I become a Jew. <laughs> I become as a Jew. I pretend like I'm something I'm not. No, that's not what he's saying. And then he goes on and says, this is 1 Corinthians 9. He says, to those under the law, I become as those under the law. But though I'm not really under the law. Well, so those, quote, under the law are different category than Jews. It's, it's, it's some sort of extra halakhic stringency. Those who have uh, additional halakhic stringency, I'll go ahead when I'm, connecting with them, and I'll, I'll take on some of those, like, for example, the washing of hands. I bet when Paul went into certain Pharisaic situations, not just, not just any Jewish situation, because not all Jews washed hands. The Qumran Jews didn't wash hands before meal. They did a full immersion before meal. They, didn't, they knew nothing of washing your hands. But that would, So if Paul would have went to Qumran and was hanging out, he would have probably immersed, done a full immersion in order to hang out with them. If if he's going into a Pharisaic house, he might very well have washed the hands just to, just to be part of the community and then talk about Yeshua. That's what Paul's talking about. So when he says, I'm not under the law, he doesn't mean I have no obligation to the Sinai covenant. That's not what he's saying or to the Ten Commandments or to the written Torah. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when I'm when I, with Jews, I'm... Uh, I, uh, I become a Jew to them, or I am as a Jew. When I'm with those under the law, I become as one under the law. So check that this out. I might win some, right? But then he goes, but I'm not free from God's Torah. I'm not free yeah. from the Torah of he Messiah. Says he says it. So I, w- <laughs> lest someone says that, oh, you're just become, so that, why does he include that? Be- as a catch to those who might hear him saying, oh, Paul, you're just a chameleon. You're just going to do whatever, and so you're just it's super grace. You can do whatever you want. And Paul's like, no, because I'm a new covenant creation. Yeah. It's God's Torah is in my heart. I'm not going to transgress God's Torah, and I'm the Torah of the Messiah. But the way the Torah is interpreted by these different Pharisaic communities, I might, I, I might uh, what do you call it, go ahead, go along with some of the traditions, uh, in order to to connect and build relationship so that I can tell them about Yeshua. That's 
what I'm understanding Paul to be doing here in 1 Corinthians 9. But if you wouldn't know that, if just the, cat, the person who doesn't read their Bible, you know, the trip, typical Christian evangelical, goes to church faithfully, but doesn't pick up the Bible and really take it seriously, they're going to read this and go, oh, yeah, there it is, 1 Corinthians 9. I need, to, I need to remember that verse so I can have that to club over, club someone over the head with someday. Um, they're not getting into the context of it. And he's, it shows how easy Scripture can be twisted. And on the twist of a word, everything changes. Okay, so check this out. He goes on. Saunders goes on. So what then did Christ say about foods? He pronounced all food clean for his followers to eat. And then, of course, of course, he quotes Mark seven eighteen through 23, which we've now read uh, during this show. After he quotes that, listen to what he says. Jesus was making that point that uh, um, Jesus was making that point that under the new covenant, God required purity of the heart. From this statement, it implies that under the old covenant, quote unquote, unquote, yeah, from uh, quote unquote old covenant, which Saunders has now said is the Sinaitic covenant, that purity of heart didn't matter. Yeah, you could you could you could have all the lust in your heart and and, didn't uh, matter. Murderous thoughts. Well, you know, you could, you David, could have all that. It, is that how David was was a man after God's own heart, but lusted after Bathsheba? Oh. No, he said, "Created me a new heart." Yeah, exactly. He knew in me a right spirit. Right? I mean, why was he saying this in Psalm fifty-one when this was old covenant times, Caleb? I know, right? And Saunders goes on. Internal thoughts and attitudes were as important as in external actions. He's saying under the new covenant, but not under the old covenant which you now have equated to Torah? Consistent with this, God commanded the apostle Peter to eat food that was forbidden under the old covenant. And of course, he's going to go to Acts 10, 13 through 15 now. Oh, golly. Then, and he quotes it, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Similarly, the Apostle Paul taught that all foods were admissible under the New Covenant. <laughs> uh, so let's comment on Acts 10. Of course, uh, we already said this, but uh, Peter, uh, Peter explains what this whole vision was about. It wasn't about eating food. Here's, here's the thing. Here's another. How come it's so clear? Like if you're, if you're a, Bi- a Bible reader who's going to go, you know, Genesis to Revelation every year, okay? You get ha- you get hammered in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. You you can't leave that with any mistake that there's even Noah. You you also have to think back to Noah discerning, right? And we've talked about this already today. Clean and unclean. How come we don't see what we don't see in Yeshua saying is thou shalt eat pork or formerly you could eat you could not eat pork, but now I therefore abolish this law and state clearly once and for all that pork is now food for one and all. I mean, that's, they imagine, in, in somewhere in the Christian imagination, they've adopted this sense that that is what happened. That, like, there were these official um, uh, abolishing of these commandments that... And, and it's like, no, they have to work really hard. They take these tiny verses here and there. They take them completely out of context. And it's just taken for granted. Yeah, well, all well munching on their ham sandwich. I think one of the biggest problems, you know, that we have, and I, I hey, look, I was, 
very much guilty of this too, is that you, you know, when I was younger and even with my father being who he was, you know, uh, and, and believing what he believed and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, he taught that at classes. He taught that at church on Sunday when I was in Sunday school, he taught that, uh, on Shabbat. I wasn't really listening a lot of the time, you know, but in actuality, what I thought was when I was 15 years old, I have my Bible. I, I had received as a gift from my home church a very nice NASB leather-bound Bible. And I just thought, this is it. This is God's Word. If it says it here in the Bible, in this Bible, then that's what it, that's what it is. There was no idea to me that, hey, you know what? There's hundreds of different translations out there. And what is it a translation from? Greek and Hebrew. You know, I, uh, to me, it hadn't, it hadn't clicked with me yet that I, that there was more to it than that. I couldn't just read my, my English Bible, take a verse out of context and use it. And that's what we did. You know, we were taught to do that in our mission trips down to Manti, Utah to try to convert Mormons. Uh, you know, the Mormons are, are masters at this. They take one piece of a verse and they build entire doctrine off of it without any context, without knowing any history or anything like that. And what we were taught to do was to take little snippets of verses here and there to combat them. You know, use their own tactics against them, basically. It wasn't until I was older that I realized, no, 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 you can't do that. This is not how language works. This is not how the Bible works. This is not how anything works. All right. So I guess uh, from from Rob and my point of view, you should not be eating. And I think from the Bible's point of view, right? From the Bible's point of view, I think it's quite clear that uh, believers, those who are in covenant relationship with the Almighty, should not be eating pork. They should not be eating shellfish. There's a whole list in Leviticus 11. All right. Anything else, Rob? Hmm. Well, there is this really cool uh, <laughs> audio clip. I, don't, I didn't get it, though. It's Jim Gaffigan, who's a comedian. And he's, it's this funny uh, stand-up routine thing he's doing where he was in Boston. And they're like, lobster. You got to eat the lobster. Oh, yeah. We should, get, that. Like, we should get it for next week. Can't I just order what I want? <laughs> no, you got to eat the lobster. And he starts describing lobster as like a sea scorpion. And he's like, <laughs> and, but he has this comment. And he says something about, uh, I think God put that those creatures way deep down. Like, or no, no, it's almost like God's up there thinking, Man, what do I got to do? <laughs> it's like I've hit, I put them way down deep in the ocean, and they're still getting it to you know, eating this stuff. It's it's really funny. So I I can't endorse all his comedy routine. I I, know, I don't know you know for young years maybe it's not always appropriate. But anyway, there's the clip on on that is is pretty darn funny. Do I have something on food here? What do I have on food here? What are you eating? I don't really know. Yeah, it's that we're supposed to. We're supposed to. Uh, we want to walk in God's ways, right? I mean, isn't that what the? Isn't that what our salvation is all about? Don't we? Isn't it that God gives us the Spirit of His Son into our heart, and we cry out, "Abba, Father," and hey. we just then we're excited. We look at His Word and like, "Wow, what is God like?" Because. He's my dad, and yeah. I want to do it his way, and 
isn't it just that simple? Thank you for saying that because the honest truth is is that I feel a lot of the time like Christians are like, okay, God told us to do all this stuff. How can we get out of it? Yeah, that seems to be like not that's the problem. That's the that's that's what Israel was doing when it says they broke my covenant. <laughs> but they, yeah, but that's just it. Is is people who are in true covenant relationship with God, and you know, I say I got into a I, every time I have relatives on the on the East Coast, and every time we we uh, we don't see each other very often, maybe every four or five years, sometimes even longer than that. But every time we get together, we have the is Torah applicable for today debate. The last time they were here, uh, my 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 cousin was here. We were sitting around the table, and I said, look, man, you love God. I know you love God. You have a personal relationship with him, right? Don't you want to do everything that he wants you to do? Wouldn't you rather err on the side of, you know, it's not, and people think, oh, keeping Torah, man, what a burden. It's not. What what happens? We get festivals, which are awesome, Right? We get a day off each, a required day off each week. Awesome. Kosher foods, you eat better. You might think it's bad and in the beginning it's not. And what else do we have? Zeet zeet. Those are really the major changes that Christians would have to make. Besides that, there's really not a whole lot of, of changing to incorporate because Christians keep most of the, of, of the law that we're able to keep today anyway. It baffles my right. mind why right. people... We're not, right. and, and we want to be sh- clear on that. We're, but we want to encourage our Christian brothers and sisters to... I, I was really... I, I thought it was really great to hear that clip from Joel Osteen. I, I would have never... I would have imagined... Now, here, here it shows how my own prejudice, my own judgment... If someone asked me about him, because I know so little, I would have assumed... Yeah, of course. ...that he would have been like this Saunders guy. And so it's here, I, I mean, even today, contrasting these clips has reflected back to me how I need to be slow to judge because you, you never know. I mean, you know, I can't just automatically group, you know, I hear Joel Osteen, oh, he's probably just like these others. So we, we need to be really careful. This was a correction for me. Not that I endorse everything he says. I'd be equally, uh, you know, careful but at least I take a step back and say, okay, I can't, it's not just, quote, Christianity that teaches this, right? It's not just, quote, evangelical. It's, we can't get by with these big, vague labels, these abstractions. We need, it's, what does this particular teacher say on this particular topic? That's what we need to, and then do we have good support? Do we have a citation, or is it just hearsay? Oh, I heard he say it, said this, but I don't have a source. Or we can go and listen to the actual clip. And when we, it says, Tzedek Tzedek Tzirdov, we've been reading this in, in our Torah portions lately on Shabbat. One of the words, for, meanings for Tzedek is accuracy. You shall pursue accuracy in your weight. You shall have an accurate uh, shekel. You shall have an accurate measure of volume. In other words, so your scales are balanced and you're accurate. You're not uh, skewing the balances, right? So in the same way, we got to, Stop thinking with Judaism teaches this or Christianity teaches this. Rather, what is this particular teacher said this. This particular teacher is telling people to do this. 
I think it's funny the people in the chat room about Osteen keeping kosher. Even a blind hog finds an acorn once in a while. Somebody else says even a broken clock is right twice a day. Ouch. Okay. Well, uh, I hope that this has been enlightening for, uh, you know, y'all. And uh, to be honest with you, once again, I think that uh, the people, people who are really in covenant, true covenant relationship with God should not be trying to wiggle their way out of keeping doing the things that God loves and the, and the thing that God wants you to do. I think that instead, um, you know, we should be striving to do the things that God wants us to do. We should be searching out the things that we think will please God. And if keeping kosher is one of them, why wouldn't you want to do that? I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that. Because I think as believers, we should be doing everything possible to please our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. 